And I do want to say a special word of thanks to, to Sarah for... Yes. <clears throat> for her dream about what VBS can be, uh, she just spends so much time planning and organizing and pouring her life into it. And for all who volunteered, it was just a wonderful week. You know, <clears throat> one of our values at Applewood is we want to teach the truth about God. And we want to teach that to all ages. It's, it's foundational to who we are. We want people of all ages to know God, to have a relationship with Him, the relationship for which they were created. And we believe that knowing God and living for Him is the most important activity to which any human being can give themselves. So, man, the earlier we start with that, the better it is. By the way, gentlemen, Happy Father's Day. How was the bacon? <clears throat> now, here's the truth. I heard from more women than I did men about how delicious the bacon was. So, <clears throat> well, it tells me that bacon is better to eat than flowers. So, just in case you were wondering, let me just say, a few words about Father's Day, if I may. As I say a few words about Mother's Day and Father's Days in the past, it's so important to remember that and to be sensitive to the fact that for so many people, you know, the idea of a good father is just miles from their experience. We all know people who have had horrific fathers. And for those folks, we want to be sensitive. Uh, we, we realize that <clears throat> it's hard for them to give thanks for their father. The scripture reveals God as father, son, and spirit. Uh, and there is, I don't believe, any in tension there in the heart of God to, to inflict pain upon those for whom an earthly father is, has not been a good example, or, or for those who have lost an earthly father who was a, a wonderful example. Uh, that creates great pain as well. I think for us as believers, we can redeem Father's Day in the mind of those for whom it creates pain by living into the beauty of who God reveals himself to be as Father. And for some, that's a greater step than others. But, but we, we, we want that. We want that for ourselves. We want that for, for all people, to, to know him as he has revealed himself as Father. And beyond fathers, just what it means to be a male in our culture today. Allow me a, a couple of quick hits on this one. <clears throat> there is a lot of conversation in our culture today that is working hard to eliminate the differences between men and women, to, to make them equal in terms of their identity. And the problem with that is that we have the reality of this gender thing male and 
female. Jesus came as a man into a society that had historically been less than charitable to women. The Jews were far better than the Romans, who were maybe a smidge better than the Greeks. And into that very patriarchal culture came the Son of God, who I believe esteemed women as precious and special and co-image bearers of God. What does that have to do with Father's Day? Well, to be a father, you've got to be a male. And I think that our culture is really messed up in trying to understand what it means to be a man. You know, it's a few months away until the NFL football season starts. Now there's an example of a man, right? Not often. Not often. But in Jesus. In Jesus we have what I hope is the goal of every man in our congregation, every young man, every older man, every man who follows after Jesus to be a, a man like him. To be one who is created in his image, one who, who walks in humility, one who, who speaks with truth, one who loves with just great capacity for empathy and kindness for all those who don't experience those things. Uh, big boys don't cry is a lie that older generations were taught. Big boys, Christ-like boys, Christ-like men, they, they do cry. They find that their hearts are easily broken with the things that break the heart of God. They are men who speak with truth and firmness when necessary, but always with hearts that love, always with hearts that are gentle towards those who are smaller and, and weaker, be they children or women. That great passage in First Peter chapter 3, where Paul is exhorting husbands to be gentle and kind and patient with their wives, treating them as the weaker gender. What's he saying there? Physically weaker gender, that's all. Nothing weaker about women except, by and large, we men tend to be stronger. And the power that God has given us in our physical strength I think too often becomes a perverted picture of what it means to be a strong man. Because there is just far too much abuse and hurt and neglect and all kinds of nasty things that 
men impose upon others just because they can. May we, my brothers, older and younger, be men who follow after Christ, who willingly lay ourselves down in sacrifice and surrender for the good of others, regardless of who they may be. Let's pray. Gracious God, you have revealed yourself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You invite us to address you as Father. Jesus was passionate about the Father. And he is our example of what it means to be a man in our world, our culture that is so confused so often about what that means and what that looks like. We pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells your people, male and female, that we who are males on this day will be reminded that we are called to be like Jesus. And that is more than just in our maleness, but it certainly includes our maleness. I pray that your spirit will remind us of that often today and tomorrow and every day that follows to be men who desire to love and sacrifice and serve as the greatest man who ever lived did. And we ask in his name, amen. Thank you for letting me share those words. Today, in addition to the celebration of VBS, we want to celebrate another important teaching event, or I should say maybe effort. That's probably a better word at Applewood. This is what we refer to as Confirmation Sunday. And Confirmation, some of you may be familiar with that word, depending on your faith background or tradition. It means different things in different traditions, but in our denomination and at Applewood Community Church, confirmation is a process of confirming what we believe are the fundamental truths of Christian theology. And we have nine of our youth who used a curriculum this year uh, that is provided by our denomination, and they dug into the Old Testament and the New Testament every Sunday morning. And uh, they had assignments and homework, and it was very school-like, right? Oh, boy. <laughs> and uh, great thanks to you nine. I am, I am proud of your commitment to uh, take that journey and to complete the course. Great thanks to Justin and Rachel for being the lead teachers in that process. There, there were a few others of us who pitched in from time to time. I am guessing, confirmands, that the confirmation class experience has not made it yet onto your list of top ten life events. <clears throat> like, oh, that was great fun. Let's do that again. Okay. But I promise that down the road, it is going to produce more good and, and more fruit and, uh, and more benefit and, and blessing in your lives. So this morning's sermon, this may sound frightening, 
is inspired by your confirmation experience. Uh, I want to look at the words of what is known as an important creed in the life of the Christian church. Now, for some of you, that may have just kind of sounded a bit frightening or maybe even heretical, you know? What, what are creeds? And, and, and why would he preach from that? Is, is that even allowed? You know, is it, is it right to preach from, from a creed? Well, the church has used creeds for centuries to train new believers, uh, primarily to prepare them for baptism. Because in the early church, particularly for the first, oh, probably two to three centuries, baptism was seen as the entrance into the church. It's what put the stamp of membership onto an individual. And so the church was concerned about truth. And so oftentimes new believers were prepared for the day of baptism and they spent sometimes the better part of a year uh, learning these truths. So we're going to look this morning at just a few things related to the Apostles' Creed. That will sound familiar to our confirmands. I, I know that they looked at the Apostles' Creed a little bit. Some of you probably recognize that. It's the earliest version of any creed that we have in the Christian church. And for the first couple of centuries, the artifacts kind of point to a creed that was referred to as the Old Roman Creed. It, uh, it morphed later on into what is now called the Apostles' Creed. Tyrannius Rufinus was a 4th century monk. He was a historian and he wrote a commentary on the creed. And, and in his commentary, he recounted the viewpoint that the apostles wrote the creed together shortly after Pentecost before they left Jerusalem to go preach the gospel in all the world. We don't have any substantiation for that. And, and most scholars don't think that that's true. It's probably not the apostles that wrote the Apostles' Creed. However, it has the name because the Apostles' Creed captures the heart of apostolic theology. It captures the core of what the apostles were, were growing in their understanding and, and believing and living out. And, and it does the same throughout the first through few centuries of, of the early church. So I want to just make a... Uh, a couple of observations about this important creed. And I, I, just, I had this, this marvelous idea that maybe this fall we should come back and look more closely at the creed. Doesn't that sound like a great idea? You are excited. I can see it all over your face. Okay, uh, more information on that to come. So uh, the creed answers a big picture question which is what creeds were often designed to do, again, for the new believers. What do Christians believe? The Apostles' Creed puts in a, a fairly concise form, what do Christians believe? So, a couple of observations about that, and uh, we'll uh, see if we can make some application for our lives from that. And one more important thing. I, I should have said this, this earlier, but I'm reminded of it here. We need to remember that creeds have no power or authority in and of themselves. Um, 
they, they are not authoritative in, in the way that, that the scripture is. They, they only have authority in the sense that they promote and, and teach and put out the truth of what scripture teaches. And sometimes they are helpful in terms of how they boil things down uh, because the creeds were, were dating back to 2nd, 3rd, 4th century. Any of you ever play the telephone game? You remember that silly game where one person whispers in the ear of another person and goes around a circle? And so by the time it gets back to the other person on the other side of the person who started it, it can be very convoluted. It can be something completely different than what they said. And so I often think of the value of the creeds as sort of a telephone game for understanding the truths of the faith. Uh, because we're, we're dealing with people who were living a lot closer to the time of Jesus in the life of the early church and the development of the church and the growth of the church. So, but they're not authoritative. Scripture is. Let's stand and read a text from 1 Peter, excuse me, 1 uh, Timothy, 2 Timothy. Boy, I'm doing well this morning. It's one of the Timothys. Paul has been writing to Timothy. Confirmands, Timothy was young in the faith. Paul was old in the faith. And he wanted them to, Paul wanted Timothy to understand something very important about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Uh, Here are the words that he has to say. Let's read these together. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that all God's people may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. My sisters and my brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. That is such an important statement about the authority of Scripture. We believe that, it's, that it is God-breathed, and therefore, in that, it, it has authority. The Scriptures are God's written word for His people, and they tell us everything that we need, according to Paul here, as he writes to Timothy, everything that we need to know to live faithfully as followers of Jesus Christ. Creeds are always formulated around biblical truth. They're intended to be statements, as I said earlier, that would allow a person to answer the question, so what do Christians believe? Ever have anybody ask you that? Oh, so you're a Christian. What do you believe? They may have some ideas about what you believe. Some might be accurate. Some might be way off the mark. But another value of the creed is to remind us that these are ancient truths. These are truths that have been held by countless numbers of people who have passionately followed after Christ. And so, if nothing more, it reminds us we're not alone in this. 
this wasn't our idea. You know, this came from God. And, and he has guided the process of the formation of his church and of the scriptures. And we share a rich history with a lot of people who believe as we do these foundational truths. Okay, we good with that so far? Okay, now, we're not going to stand and read this because that just, to me, implies authority. So just stay right where you are. But let's read the Apostles' Creed together. This will be familiar, I'm sure. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Okay. Have you heard that before? All right. What I'd like you to do is turn to someone nearby and ask them, what did you just hear in that that stood out to you? What caught your attention? Kind of grabbed your, your thinking. Share that with one another for just a couple of minutes. Okay, can I reel this back in now? I think you're talking about what's for lunch at this point. All right. So what do you think? Uh, many of you have heard it before. What, uh, what, what strikes you about the Apostles' Creed? Interesting. Yeah. Some foundational truth that was getting into your head and heart whether you knew it or not. Yeah, yeah. Good possibility. And in the Lutheran Church. Okay. 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 Nice. So you have some rich history with that. Good. Good. I like that. What else? Other thoughts? What jumped out? Okay. And the truth rooted in biblical revelation. So it's not just somebody's idea. But yeah. Some kind of concise statement. Okay. I wondered if someone was going to say, what's up with that? Catholic is an old word for universal. And so, you know, prior to about the 10th century, the church was one church. And it was, it was the universal church. And so that's the original language. Some people opt to say the holy Christian church. Others just stick with small c, Catholic, universal. Trinitarian nature. Yeah, going to say more about that in just a minute. What else? Anyone else? Rosie. Oh, hang on, Monica. Ro Perhaps because he was the authority figure that, that, you know, gave the word. Yeah, good. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's pretty simple in its form. Yeah. Anyone else want to add? Yeah. What in the world does that mean? Yeah. Here's a quick comment on that. Um, 
he descended into hell based on, most commentators would say it's based on Peter's teaching that Jesus died and when he was given life by the Spirit, he descended to preach the gospel to the spirits who were in prison. All kinds of conversation about that. Who the heck were the spirits? Peter goes on to say, those who were disobedient in the time of Noah, who God was waiting patiently upon. The, the idea there is waiting patiently for them to repent and turn to him. We don't really know. And that's one of the mysteries of the creed, is we look at that and say, why is that there? And, you know, why would Jesus descend into hell? That's, that's the way they phrase it. It's the best we can do. It is. It's, it's developed later. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Anyone else? <laughs> you looked and you couldn't find them, right? Okay. Let me move on because that's a great introduction into I, I, what grabs me ab- about the, the creed. I asked you that question because it really does point to the Trinitarian nature of God. You know, it's critically important um, because it means that dating back to at least the second, probably the second century, second, late second, early third century, Christian thought was rooted in the Trinity. And as Christianity grew, especially into the 4th and the 5th centuries, there were other creeds that were written that defined more clearly the nature of, the importance of the Trinity. If you've ever read the Nicene Creed, which is, is about a 4th century creed, you read some of the language in there as they are talking about the humanity of Jesus and, and, and the deity of Jesus and and pretty soon your, your brain is just running out of your ears trying to... But it was so important to them to, to define specifically what they meant because they were responding to people who were at the heart of it uh, denying the full humanity and the full deity of, of Jesus. So to believe in God as a trinity, one in three, three in one, that mystery that we have talked about together... It's at the heart of the Christian faith. So let me share just a few observations first. And this is fascinating to me. There are just three lines, you probably noticed, describing God the Father Almighty. There's an additional mention of God the Father referring to Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Three lines describing God the Father there are ten lines describing Jesus Christ, the Son. There are only two references to the Holy Spirit. What do you think the major focus of this creed is? It is. The focus of this creed is Jesus Christ. Now, I... I hope you don't hear me saying that we want to minimize the importance of the Father and the Spirit. Not at all. The definition of God as Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and, and as a Father, it's, it's powerful and it, and it begs some great discussion together as God's people. And Scripture gives us more on that. 
But the creed doesn't go there. And the two references to the Holy Spirit, they're scant at best. We're told that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. That's taken right from Matthew chapter 1. And the second reference is a statement of belief. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So, think about that for, for a minute again. Three references to the Father. Two references to the Spirit. Ten references, and pretty detailed ones, to Jesus the Son. What do you think that might be telling us about what was going on for Christians as the creed was being developed and restated and developed and restated throughout the centuries. What do you think might have been going on? I think it opens up a window to the history of the church in those early centuries showing us that what is really needed by believers when they're having spiritual conversations with non-Christians what does a conversation with someone who wants to know what a Christian believes, what does it really come down to? And it doesn't mean that what we believe about the Bible isn't important. It doesn't mean that what we believe about end times doesn't have some significance in our lives. It doesn't mean that what we believe about God and His omniscience and omnipresence and, and, and all it, it doesn't mean any of those things are unimportant but what it comes down to is Jesus because the point of Christianity has the word Christ in it and so when we think about engaging people in conversation spiritual conversation we want to somehow, some way, if there's possibility to do it graciously and easily, bring it back to Jesus. That's, I think, one of the values of the creed. The lightning rod of spiritual discussions with people who do not share our belief as followers of Christ the lightning rod will usually have to do with Jesus. It was true then, and it's true now. And, and I think, personal opinion, it's true in every age. Because every religion has a God. And people are comfortable, semi-comfortable, many of them, talking about God. What they believe about God. And when you talk about the Spirit, well, the very word speaks of things that are spiritual in nature. Do you know people who say, well, yeah, I'm a spiritual person. I think to myself, what does that mean? But you cannot bring up the name of Jesus as the church has historically understood him based upon the revelation of Scripture without ruffling some feathers. That, I think, is great value of the creed. Listen again to how the creed describes Jesus. Conceived of the Holy Spirit. Born of the Virgin Mary. There's reference to the incarnation. Jesus, the God-man. It's a position that the church has held since its beginning. 
Confirmands, this is not some wacky idea that somebody has come up with in a modern era. They, they, did, they, they fought over these things. There were serious wars waged over the humanity and the deity of Christ, the incarnation, 100% God, 100% man. Which means he is more than just a good man, more than just a good moral teacher, which, for those who are comfortable talking about Jesus, he is usually relegated into one of those categories. A good man, a good moral teacher, an example of how we are to live. Well, I agree with all of those. But he's so much more than that. So much more than that. Another line, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. Monica, you brought this up, was crucified. He died, was buried. Here's the thing. He did not suffer and die for being a good man and a good moral teacher. He was crucified as a criminal by the religious authorities because he shook things up. And according to them, he taught heresy. And according to the lies that were propagated about him, he stirred up insurrection against the authorities in the Roman Empire. And when you talk about a lord in the Roman Empire, it better be Caesar. But the Christians were willing to go to their deaths claiming Jesus as Lord. That means that he was more than just a good man and a good moral teacher. He descended into hell. Lee, you asked the question about that. Best guess on that one. Controversial statement. No one really knows what it means because those around, who wrote it aren't around to ask. Did he go there to preach the good news to those waiting for the final judgment as one last opportunity to be saved? Some think so. Did he go there to proclaim that the powers of hell had been defeated? Frankly, that's my favorite. I kind of see that one as Jesus doing a, told you so. You thought you had it, didn't you? It's, it's a statement I like to think of the power of God to triumph over the worst fear, the worst horror, the worst concern of humanity. God is victorious. The third day he arose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And here is really the sticking point about Jesus. Jesus came to die. We've talked about that so many times at Applewood together. The purpose that he came was to die. The purpose for which he came was to pay the price of humanity who had rejected God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And to give people opportunity to recognize the sin of rejection of God in their life and to restore them to the relationship for which God had lovingly and graciously created them. And so when you get to that point, talking about Jesus' life and death and resurrection and then ascending to the right hand of the Father to rule and where he's, he's going to come to judge the living and the dead, that's uncomfortable stuff. 
Because judgment means that I've got to give an accounting for something. Well, as Americans, we don't want to be accountable to anything, to anyone, for any reason. And so when we really talk about Jesus, according to the history of the church and the revelation of Scripture that informs the creeds of the church, that Jesus will become a dividing point. But it's the heart of our faith. It's the heart of our faith. So confirmants, Applewood family, we are participants in some age-old truths. We walk a path that many have walked before. And we, we stake our lives on truths that many have given their lives for. And so I guess my, my prayer for each of you as you journey on in this faith is that this will just have been a starting point for you, this, this year of confirmation and having confirmed in your life that you've heard those truths and you are beginning to grapple. Let it be an opportunity, an encouragement, a challenge to, to wrestle with the implications of what these these simple written truths mean and let God use it to, to form your life of faith so that you become the person whom he has created you to be. And then, as you grow and get excited about Jesus, light us up, will you? You know, just speak it out to we old folks who sometimes get a little boring and stayed in our... Okay, maybe I do, you don't, right? I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Fundamental truths of the Christian faith for which we celebrate and give thanks. Thanks for letting me take a sermon and talk about a creed. Let's pray together. Praise team, come and prepare to lead us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God of the universe, God who has revealed himself in a way that communicates love and surrender and gift and sacrifice. Ah. Oh. Holy Spirit, you who indwell your people, would you stir in our hearts just a, a passionate and glad rejoicing over who you are and what you've done. And, and may we as people learn from the heartbeat of this creed that it's ultimately all about Jesus. Yeah, we want to have good theology. We want to be correct in other areas as well. But you know how easily we can sometimes make that about us and being right when really what we need to be right about ultimately is Jesus. Give us greater love, we pray, for the Son of the living God who came to reveal God in His character and His power and His being. 
we pray. In the name of that Son, Jesus. Amen.